This podcast was recorded on March 9th, 2017. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Double Line Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Double Line has no obligation to provide any update or changes. Okay, welcome to the Sherman Show. I'm here uh, with my co-host Samuel Lau. Hey, hey. And today we have with us Jeff Mayberry from the Macaras Allocation Team. And we want to talk about the topic on many people's minds in the bond market uh, for the last 36 years. And that's what happens to portfolios and rising interest rates. Uh, so with that, Mr. Mayberry, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and why you uh, feel suited to answer these questions today? Yeah, um, this is Jeff Mayberry. I'm on the macro asset allocation team. I've win, been with Double Line since inception and been uh, with Mr. Gunlock and team for 16 years now. Um, and while that seems like a long time, haven't really had a rising rate experience, uh, <laughs> at least uh, to, to any large extent. Yeah. So uh, given that, what makes you qualified to talk about rising rates? Um, you know, uh, what, what, what skill set do you have to think about this? And how would you frame uh, for an investor today thinking about, you know, a true secular rate rise? Well, I think we have some pretty good examples of smaller rate rises that have occurred relatively recently. And we can you kind of extrapolate that out um, and see what things we're going right, what things were going wrong, and try to figure out how to best manage a secular rise in rates. Yeah, so I guess the, the thing that always comes to investors' minds, and we see this as uh, they come through the halls of double line when we're out on the road talking mm-hmm. to clients, um, you know, I think they, they read that old adage from the Wall Street Journal. It says, when yields go up in bonds, prices go down. And so it, it strikes this fear in people's minds that if I'm investing in bonds and interest rates go up, um, is there any chance of not losing money? Uh, how would you respond to that, or how would you try to uh, assuage concerns for investors when thinking about um, this price to yield relationship? I think that it's uh, definitely, <laughs> you know, it is something that you, every single article in the Wall Street Journal does say. They <laughs> yeah. move inversely to each other, the prices and yields. But I think that's really much. It's the simplistic way to think about it, and it's really a U.S. Treasury type um, analysis. And so if you Break away from an entirely uh, U.S. Treasury no cre- or no credit risk portfolio, and move into a more diversified portfolio where you're taking on additional credit risk, getting paid for that credit risk, getting some yield, uh, getting more income that you can put together a strategy that doesn't necessarily uh, have to move inversely or inversely with uh, interest rates. Certainly, you know, interest rate risk or duration is your biggest risk in a fixed income portfolio. So if rates rise, prices are going to, da- going to go down, but your, your yield can, um, 
you know, it, it can buffer some of that decrease in prices. All right, so so let's keep this at a, a layman's. I know you're a mathematician um, by trade, so we don't want to get out here and talk about all these complicated concepts, but maybe you could explain that a little bit better. Maybe give an, an anecdote or some form of illustration about how that works. You're talking about using income to help offset some of these price movements. You know, just in very simplistic terms, how, how can our investors think about that? Well, let's, let's like take the Barclays, Bloomberg Barclays aggregate and the U.S. aggregate index. You as mean the Lehman to, Ag, as a lot of people the still Lehman call Ag it. still. <laughs> right. uh, it's, you know, currently has a, let's make the math easy, duration of six, yield of two and a half. And so if rates rise over a one-year period, 100 basis points, then your prices are going to go down 6%. You're going to get that increase in uh, income of two and a half percent from the yield. So your net net return is down three and a half percent. Okay, that's the yeah. easiest way to think about it, and that's the uh, you know kind of the basis for all the underlying analysis we can do across different types of, of portfolios. So and that uh, negative six percent in uh, you know price change is that simply just taking the the duration, as you as you mentioned, was six multiplied by the change in interest rates. I mean, is that just the way to think about it? That's exactly the way to think about <laughs> yeah. it. It's, it's it's defined as a, as a rate move in rates of a hundred basis points. So a six yeah. duration means a six percent down in prices for a hundred. So so we know the Fed is on a hiking cycle here in two thousand seventeen. Um, it's still you know to be determined whether or not we're going to see three hikes, four hikes, six hikes. Who knows what the Fed's going to do now as uh, they've lost some of that data dependency. Uh, but we're talking about trying to make money in a rising rate, rising rate environment. We know the Fed's going on a hiking regime, as we've seen already. The question is, wait, all of a sudden you told me you can make money in bonds, and you just gave me an illustration of where I lose 3.5%. Um, so uh, what gives here? Well, I think that if the Fed's raising rates, call it 3 4 as you said, six times, the, the basis of that is going to be, you know, the economy is getting stronger, that there is uh, your, your credit side of things, your high yield, we'll use high yield as a perfect example, that side of things, your fundamentals are getting stronger. So it makes sense that those are actually maybe spreads tighten because of your fundamentals are, are stronger, there's less default risk. Uh, and so to that extent, you get your yield pickup, plus your prices may not go down as much as their stated duration uh, would imply. Okay, so uh, we've written about this in a few papers over the years, and tongue-in-cheek have called this kind of a Sherman ratio of thinking about balancing yield and duration. Maybe, maybe you can explain how, how that works, maybe with another example, too, where you're talking about using income versus this interest rate sensitivity. Uh, so give us the example here, maybe with like a high yield um, uh, as an asset class, for instance. So we've talked about this Sherman ratio concept, and the idea is that uh, if we balance the yield and the duration in the portfolio, um, you know, perhaps that you can stave off this negative type of return, not just due to the economy, but let's just say we get inflation and yield and nominal yields are going up due to that. Um, let's talk about some types of strategies um, that one could run, uh, not necessarily a double line product, but thinking about. Um, how to position a portfolio for that. Uh, can you think of any examples um, that an investor could try to do today? I think that if you run a hypothetical lower duration portfolio, more diversified, where you're taking on a part, part of your portfolios in, in lower duration treasuries or agency mortgages, 
and part of your portfolio is in high yield or emerging markets, and then maybe mix in some floating rate assets that you can put together a portfolio, call it a duration of one and a quarter with a two and a half yield. And in that scenario, if you get a hundred, as Mr. Lau likes to say, you, you have a 125 uh, percent, not 125 basis point drop in prices, but you get a two and a half yield. So at the end of your one year time period, you're actually positive 125 basis points. Hmm. Yeah. So Mr. Lau is here nodding with us in agreement uh, that the math does indeed. He's he's doing it on his 12C right now. He's uh, making sure that that indeed does work. So, um, uh, you know, selfishly, you know, our team put out a piece uh, back in February uh, talking about different portfolios in different rising rate regimes. And um, I'll cut to the short conclusion of it. We found that you can actually make money in bonds in rising rate environments. Maybe you could talk to investors about how to think about building not just a bond portfolio, but maybe an asset allocation type portfolio that can withstand rates. So maybe you can give us some of the things we've seen from rising rate regimes, what parts of the market do well, um, what have suffered, and uh, what we think uh, could be a, a good for investors in 2017. Yeah, I think that if we look at a perfect example is the last this, this last half of 2016. You had the low end rates in, in early July and, you know, a pretty, pretty high level of rates. That was rates. post-Brexit, right? Post-Brexit, yeah, right. And so you had, you know, you had almost a 100 basis point increase in rates from June 30th, uh, 2016 to December 31st, 2016. So perfect example, 100 basis point rise in rates. What did the Barclays Ag do or the Bloomberg Barclays Ag? <laughs> it was uh, down two and a half percent, kind of in line with what we were, we were talking about earlier. They only had half the year. The only had half the year. So only had half the coupon. Right. Uh, saw you know, obviously you saw a lot of the credit side of things do well over the last half of the year, and you know, S and P five hundred as a proxy for kind of the risk on trade was up seven point eight percent over those six months. So I don't want. It's not obviously equities aren't a perfect proxy for for uh, the riskier side of fixed income, but it's typically your high yield, your emerging markets go up when uh, equities go up. And so using that, you know, the, the risk side of things have done pretty well over those six months. I mean, is that, that's, you spend a lot of time, I, I know the, the firm spends a lot of time talking about offsetting returns of risks. I mean, is this one way, uh, as you mentioned, in the short to intermediate uh, duration portfolio, as well as some of the other multi-sector fixed income accounts? Is that some, one of the ways that you do express your view in terms of uh, trying to offset these risks to, to perform you know, well across cycles? Yes, definitely. No one knows what rates are going to do. We can sit there and say that we thought rates were going to rise from their lows in in July, but there was always this pro- pro- possibility that rates were going to fall from there. So we don't like to put together portfolios that take unidirectional bets. If we have some a portfolio that has high yielding emerging markets exposure, we're going to pair that with some safer U.S. Treasury exposure just in case the uh, rates do fall. And so you get that flight to safety, you get that the treasuries and the agency mortgages perform very well in, in that scenario. So you don't want to position something unidirectionally because there's going to be times when you're wrong and it doesn't make sense for investors to take on that kind of risk. Yeah. I think one thing that we, we've noticed over the years is that as investors think about these relationships is that one thing that I think they forget to put in that calculation is reinvestment income, right? So what we're talking about this, you know, you talk post-Brexit, 
to kind of post the, the new post President Trump type of era where we've seen you know rates rise of over over 125 basis points. But um, talk about how the reinvestment can help too, because I think that's what people analyze portfolios. They think about one single bond. Right, rates go up all of a sudden. The media harps on the thirty-year treasury, the longest duration asset we have in the U.S., and highly interest rate sensitive. But let's talk about how reinvestment um, can actually play into helping that total return calculation as well. Of course, I mean if you have something where it yields two and a half today, if rates rise a hundred basis points, if spreads stay the same, you're going to get a three and a half yield in a year or right. whenever rates rise. So in the your reinvestment over time becomes a much bigger part of your total return in, in a portfolio. And that's when uh, we've had Mr. Gunlock say that if rates get to 6% over three, four, five years, that it actually can be a better total return than if rates stay unchanged. And people that kind of blows people's minds. How is that even possible? And it's all reinvestment. And it's you know part of it. it that's if, it's, you don't, if you have a static portfolio, maybe don't, things don't look as great. But you have an actively managed portfolio. You can change your sectors around. Okay. Uh, certainly, in a rising rate environment, there's likely to be some better buying opportunities. Uh, over the past few years, we've been kind of stuck in this low vol, low rate environment. And you know, how many times have we been in our asset allocation meetings where it's like everything kind of looks rich where we want to invest in? Right. So you know, you get a rise in rates, you start to get some more opportunities, and you know. We can take advantage of it. Yeah, those. well, I think what we've seen, too, is the prevalence, especially with the Fed hiking. You know, people are talking about, oh, this is the short I've wanted all my life. Uh, let's short the bond market. Um, this this is the, you know, you, I, I heard it a few years ago, it was a 32-year bull market. Then it was a 33, then a 34. Uh, but actually, sequentially, calendar years, we've actually been increasing rates, albeit slightly. Um, so the question is, is that should investors just be nervous that, the eradication of the bull market's over in the fixed income landscape, and therefore they should just abandon fixed income completely. And we get this from a lot of clients. Well, what, what would you give to them as advice on how to think about this um, in terms of this rising, possible rising secular rate environment? I think you, or the way I look at it, is much more of a, you need to have your offsetting risks. As we said before, uh, rates aren't, all, you know, even though people project rates to go up or everyone kind of has a strong feeling that rates are going to rise. In your portfolio, you always want to have a cushion in case rates fall. Yep. You want to have that cushion. You don't want your bond portfolio, or you don't want to get rid of your bond portfolio, and then all of a sudden stocks fall. Right. You know, if if we knew stocks were going to rise, certainly I would, I would highly recommend a levered position in stocks, right? Because you, <laughs> if it's going to go up for sure, that's what you want. But yeah, you know, you compliance can't. doesn't allow us to be clairvoyant, right? Mm -hmm. So we we can't really recommend that today. That's, that's right. right. Guarantees. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I, you know, as as you think, I, 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 you know, obviously we like the offset idea. We like the way, you know, you don't bet all the way in one direction. But I know the the biggest issue I hear really anymore too is that you know there's all this behavior at the Fed. The Fed's going to unwind the balance sheet. All the supply of bonds that come in the market, and all of a sudden we're going to have rates just spike significantly higher. How how can we try to avoid um, having damage in the bond portfolios? for kind of the short-term spike that some people think is imminent. Certainly, if, if that's your projection, if your projection is a, a very quick uh, rise in rates, you would want to be in a shorter duration portfolio. Uh, definitely uh, the the lower duration side of things, A you don't necessarily have to be in a 
risk-free portfolio, you want to get maybe get a little bit of yield uh, in case the in case the rate rise takes a little bit longer. You you are getting that cushion, but I think that if that's your 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 perception of a right of a quick rise in rates, that lower duration is definitely, I mean, it makes sense. It's definitely a better place to be. What are some of the fixed income sectors where you can you know, exhibit some of those lower durations that you're talking about here? Certainly, we've seen uh, the rise in LIBOR rates occur uh, very quick. Kind of, the LIBOR rates are rising as as the Fed's raising rates. So, something like a floating rate bank loan uh, type asset class is something that can take advantage of that rise in LIBOR rates. Can you can you just explain to some of our listeners here too what that means by having a floating rate exposure? Because it, it gets thrown around, and I don't think a lot of people necessarily appreciate that. It's where your coupon it resets at a you know, at a, at a regular frequency. So whether it's monthly or quarterly, typically those are your two your two main types. And so every month your coupon resets to LIBOR plus a spread. So if it's LIBOR plus 100 basis points, uh, you, you get that and it resets every single month. So in a rising rate environment, your coupon is going up by that change in LIBOR every single month or every single quarter. And that kind of, that gives you a more of a protection to in that rising rate environment and you don't really have too much interest rate risk on those types of assets. Maybe we could decouple this idea of rising rate environment because we, we use this phrase very obtusely. Rising rates, does, does that mean the, the front end of the curve is moving, the five years moving, the 10 years, the 30 years? I mean, the curve is, is a, is, has a mind of its own and, and has different discounting mechanisms. Let, let's talk about, let's, let's try to make this more binary. There's the front end of the curve, rising rates, which the Fed ultimately has a pretty large control over, right? Right. They, they're the ones setting the tone. They're helping dictate LIBOR as long as there's no credit problems. So the Fed kind of controls the front end. Then there's the rising rate that I think more people are scared about when they have more duration, which is the back end of the curve. Um, let's talk about the back end of the curve and rising rate. How, how, how could you maybe capitalize? It meant not necessarily be the fixed income market, but... What parts of uh, what, what tools do investors have if they're actually worried about this back end lending rate going up? I think if you have something where your 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 longer term rates are rising, uh, you know you that was that's going to be much more on a growing economy, and so you want to take on a little bit more credit risk. Corporate credit risk is probably a good thing to have there. High yield uh, investment, maybe even some investment grade credit, which has a little bit of much more of a uh, of, a, of an increase in in the fundamental side of things. Uh, also, you have, you know, I guess, it, I guess it really depends on kind of why the long end is rising. If it's much more of an inflation side of things, uh, then, you know, obviously your your idea there is you want to buy tips, you want to buy something, commodities, something that is going to benefit from that rise of, of an inflation uh, over time. And I think that, you know, you kind of have two different offsetting risks there. Uh, and so it kind of depends on why rates are rising. Yeah, maybe I can just stem off that too. You mentioned commodities. I mean, that, that's an asset class that has been loath for many years. Um, obviously, we, we traffic in that space a, a fair amount as well. Uh, but uh, I find it interesting that you know com- commodities in 2016 finally had their day in the sun, right? Um, the sectors of the market performed very well. It's kind of a broad participation, um, and you got a great return. 
And then it was outshined by the S&P. And so what we've seen from investors, too, is they say, yeah, it's great. I've lost all this money for four or five years. You give me a good year. But, oh, it's matched by the S&P. Who cares about asset allocation when the S&P's up? Uh, what do you think about commodities for a rising rate? Right? You, you mentioned that. How could that perhaps work in an investor's portfolio? Well, you get the, you know, we've, we've done some studies and we've seen that uh, commodities have a positive correlation with uh, what we call unexpected inflation, which is basically the change in inflation from over year over year, uh, assuming that expected inflation is whatever last year's inflation was. And you, so, but it's, it becomes... Short-termism, right? Yeah, people that's right. Think, right. Yeah. I mean, that's how everyone thinks. But, yeah. you know, when you do, you do the study and you, and you can see that relationship and that gives you a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, gives you some comfort that things are actually, you know, working the way you, you think they should. Uh, but it, in part of a portfolio, an overall investor's portfolio, commodities make perfect sense to be a diversifier. So they... Don't, they're, they're very low, very lowly correlated with the fixed income and equity side of things, and you know they can provide you that buffer for uh, your diversification buffer that helps with uh, your your equity, your fixed income, and your commodity all working together to kind of limit the downside. Even though you know people look at the commodities and, are, and if you're modeling it out, the performance hasn't been very good over the longer you know five ten years from the, the top of the commodity. Super cycle. Uh, so when you look at it, if the, the total return doesn't look as great with commodities added, but your your overall volatility, your standard deviation looks better if you include the, a piece of commodities. Now, it's just interesting how we're just, you know the, the focus of this topic today is rising rates. When just in 2016, it seemed like the topic of the year was negative yields, right? I mean, <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's like what is, what's the catalyst here? I mean, what what's just driving this change? I mean, it seems like double line was in the forefront we didn't, you know we were talking about rising interest rates when everyone else all the advisors i met with just kept saying there's no way interest rates can rise and then here we are <laughs> everyone you know you've got you know people saying they're just i mean the shorts in the in yeah. in the uh, interest rates markets are just all-time highs so how many times did we position. talk to people where they were saying i've been projecting rising rates for two years now i moved to low duration funds <laughs> and rates didn't rise i can't give in now Right. That's the perfect catalyst for rates to rise. Perfect. That brings in another topic, too, as well, is, you know, people had gone into floating rate. You mentioned floating rate securities earlier, but people had gone in to floating rates uh, type of strategies earlier and got burned because LIBOR wasn't moving. I mean, how is that different now? I mean, now we've seen, if you just, if you just chart it, you've seen LIBOR rise, uh, and, it's, and it's continued its rise, and it's been – it's been a pretty consistent uh, increase in, in rates. Obviously, LIBOR, short-term LIBOR is moving with the Fed. Like on the, there, you know, we looked at the chart, and it's when the Fed starts to, it's moving with the Fed plus the uh, probability that the Fed's going to rise. So it's yeah. kind of pricing in the the, the price moves. With the dots the matter. Now. The dots matter. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's definitely, uh, you know, you, you've seen that that movement. Well, so I recall too, uh, you know, back in the taper tantrum, you know, starting really early in May of 2013, uh, where we got the scare. We called it the taper tantrum because the uh, chairman Bernanke at the time was talking about tapering bond purchase or buying less bonds per month, and it kind of spooked the market. Um, what we saw is a lot of exodus out of bond funds at that time. It, it feels like to me post-Brexit, albeit over the same time window, 
right? Because if you recall the move from 2013, we went from you know the low 130s, uh, maybe it's the high 130s on the 10-year um, in in late April, early May, and we got to something 302, I think, was the intraday high, or at least the close there uh, back in 13. So I mean that that's a huge 170 basis point move. It happened over about six months. Wow, that sounds eerily familiar. Brexit 132, <laughs> right back in July of 2016. And, you know, we got to, you know, early in 2016, we got to 260 and above. I mean, it's 130 basis points six months later. Um, but what I think I've noticed here is there hasn't been as much of a um, an exodus out of the bond funds today. Do you think that investors are better educated this time? Do you think they were more or they were better positioned for it? What do you think is the change in sentiment there? I mean, it's a it's a hard question to answer, but it, there's definitely something different this yeah. time, and that's always dangerous to say in finance. Right, right now, right. right. We're not seeing different. that talk about the great rotation anymore. Right, yeah. I mean, right? and this was right <laughs> after all the publication of people buying bonds for price appreciation to to Mr. Lau's point on you know uh, on the negative yields and buying stocks for income. So, uh, what do you think has changed in sentiment? Uh, the narrative. What's different this time? Is it just Investors are better educated with all these things you're talking about. I think that it's, I think it's really that maybe they're better educated, but they had that taper tantrum experience, right? Mm. So they're not. Their taper tantrum happened. They realized the world actually didn't end. Things were okay. The rates went back down. Uh, they they earned their income, and so that experience had happened relatively recently. So they weren't spooked by this move up in uh, rates. Okay. And so that, that's, so it's, it's the fool learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from others, that's right? right. Um, well, I mean, um, so on that note too, so what we did notice over that period and, you know, in the investment business, there's always the strategy du jour. I, my French isn't good. I don't know, <laughs> demand yeah. the year. Uh, Whatever is the, you know that? No, I just say ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the idea here is that, after the taper tantrum, what we saw is a rise in prevalence of unconstrained funds, right? Unconstrained being the answer that instead of taking duration risk or interest rate risk, I'm going to take manager risk, right? That's the biggest risk you take there. And we saw that happen. A lot of these strategies underperformed or did not deliver on the objective. Um, what do you think about the flows right now? Are you... Uh, from what you've been observing in the market, are you seeing more interest in the floating rate? I'm sorry, in the unconstrained world, um, or do you think again this? You, you just talked about experience, right? Do right. they have a bad experience with that, um, or is it just a trade? Is is that really what people are using these strategies for? Yeah, I think that you haven't had, or I haven't really noticed too many flows into the unconstrained world. I think the way I've been looking at it, or the way I kind of think about it, is that you had that. The, the downtick in unconstrained funds where they were going down 8% in a day or, or a week or whatever the case may be. And it kind of scared people where the stock, stock their stocks were going down and their, their bonds, which was an unconstrained bonds or unconstrained portfolios went down. And as sometimes it's a similar amount, right? Sometimes a similar amount. That's not what you want from your, from your bond fund. You want it to go up when the stocks go down. Yeah. And so, as now you say, if, if every if the direction of every position in your portfolio is the same, that means you're not diversified, right? That's right, right. And so, if you want to take the if you want the upside of stocks, buy stocks. If you you want the bonds for your safety side of things, so I don't think I've seen, I haven't really noticed as big of a of a 
move into the unconstrained space because people got burned by them, uh, you know, and it's much more people wanting to get into bonds for the safety of bonds. So you're saying you want your fixed income portfolio to actually generate income. Yeah, don't rely on your equity portfolio for income. <laughs> yeah, you want your bonds to behave like bonds at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, so we talked a couple about ticking time bombs or investors having a, a negative experience with certain types of strategies, whether they're, you know, like I said, they're they're that uh, popular idea for that that time period. Um, what do you think it could be a possible ticking time bomb um, as we talk about perhaps having a secular rate rise? What things could you see that people are yeah, – I always get the question, what keeps you up at night? And I'm, I sleep well regardless of how stressed I am. So that, that's, I never really took uh, solace in that question. However, what, what do you think are some of the risks that people are overlooking if indeed we do have a rate rise? We're talking about duration, but what are things that people are perhaps being naive to today that you could give them a pearl of wisdom to? I think it's something we've been talking about at Double Line for a little while, but – High yields a bull market trade, right? It's been around we, for we this, define that. Explain that. Explain that to our listeners. The the high yield market has been around for this secular decline in rates, and every time a high yield issuer comes to market to refi their loan, guess what? Their rates lower than it was when they put the loan on five years before. What happens if a high yield issuer comes to the market in five years from now and the rate's a lot higher now, you know, the treasury rate's higher, your spread is, even if your spread's constant to now, which is they're at very tight levels, if your spread's constant, the overall actual rate is much higher. And can these, there's a reason these high yield issuers are high yield and it's <laughs> not, that's not because they have a lot of cash lying around. Right. And so is it going to be, are they going to be able to refi their loans or are they going to have to default? And that's kind of a, a something that has been, Again, I agree with you. It doesn't keep me up at night, but it's something that over the medium term is something that you know we're thinking about and we're you know we're kind of worried about from the fundamental side. Right. Well, I mean, it's one of these things where you have no data on, right? As you mentioned, it's been in a secular environment, and I know we've tried to do some modeling on that, and the numbers could get very scary too. And um, again, um, when you think about diversification. Um, you know, remember high yield tends to be correlated with equity too. So you can't just substitute a traditional bond portfolio. You can't just right. plug in high yield bonds to, to fill that gap too, just because they may do well in the rising rate environment over the, at least a short period. Yeah. So um, another thing that uh, I've I've seen a lot of folks go into, um, and again, this is I don't want to call it naive extrapolation. This is called extrapolation. But I always hear the story about well, if interest rates go up. Economy's good, right? That's right. It, it could go up because it's inflationary. That's pretty bad for a lot of uh, parts of the market. But I, I always hear the story about investment grade credit. Investment grade credit is this world that you know it, it has to benefit. Spreads tighten, and anecdotally, when you go back through history, um, you know you see that spreads tighten maybe a little bit, but you know they can be overwhelmed by duration. Um, you know, some analysis we've been doing around here for the last couple of years. We've been thinking about this side of the market. Maybe you can explain to investors some of the dangers of the investment grade world. Again, we're not calling for you know a, a bear market in investment grade credit, but just talking about the impact of perhaps a secular rate rise and how that could lead um, into the performance of the IG space. I think that you know when you look at at the index, 
Uh, it's very long. It's, it's such a long duration, and spreads are so tight. So you're talking about investment grade investment credit grade credit index. Okay. Uh, the duration's so long, spreads are so tight that you don't have that much of a yield pickup uh, in in a rising rate scenario. So sure, it, sure spreads can tighten in a little bit, but given that they're almost near, you know, they're near their tights. If you look at kind of a longer term trend, uh, they're near their tights. So you, there's you don't have enough. You don't really have much spread compression to give or to get uh, in a rising rate environment. So your duration of seven years is going to overwhelm your, your duration and your price loss is going to overwhelm in, in a rising rate environment. Uh, the, the kind of pickup you would get from a spread tightening. Yeah. So essentially, it's just the all in yield you see today is not enough to offset that interest rate risk. So back to you know this kind of ratio of yield to duration. Why I've always liked to look at it is simply if you divide those two numbers, and let's say you know in, in your example earlier you talked about a two and a half, let's just call it a three yield, and you have a six duration. You divide those two numbers as 0.5, right? And so the 0.5, what's great about that is that says that's how much rates can rise over the next year, right? 0.5 or 0.5 percent, right? Before you erode all the yield. And, you know, if you're talking about a sector that has something in the mid threes in terms of yield and a duration of seven, you're exactly that five. ratio. Again, right. 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 So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, no wonder it's a bit scary. Uh, so, Mr. Lau, what do you think um, is, a, is a good strategy to try to utilize um, for thinking about these rates? What, what would you try to advise uh, clients and investors out there on the ways to position a portfolio from an overall asset allocation when thinking about um, a rising rate environment. Yeah, and I, I think Mr. Mayberry gave us some good tools here to, to think about. So if you want to break down the portfolio within your, your fixed income portion, you know, definitely the lower duration is something that he touched on. You've got a couple different instruments in there with the floating rate you know, uh, securities as well as some CLOs. You have some spread spread products out there that may give you some benefit, but as we just discussed, you know, it could, you know, there, there's some limitations there now. With regard to an inflationary environment, which would also, you know, stand to see a, a rising rate environment as well, we've seen commodities, you know, historically have a, a, a place in the portfolio. Some, some could say that you could develop a strategy that could do well, you know, in an inflationary environment, as well as a period where you're just waiting for, for commodities to, to get that pickup from inflation. I don't know, I think equities too would have a, a place in there as well, because as um, you know, May, Mr. Mayberry said, you know, if high yield tends to do well as risk um, assets do well in that situation, in a period where you're actually seeing some economic growth come, you know, a la the, the longer end of the curve, perhaps U.S. equities could get a nice little bump there as well. So just, you know, properly diversified portfolio across some of these, these tools that we mentioned, I think would be a, a positive uh, way to look at it. Yeah, and I, I think I want to add one last thing to that as we kind of wrap up here on the show today is that, you know, we're talking about rising rates. We're talking about how to position, how to strategize it. I think one thing you guys all failed to mention is what if rates don't rise, Yeah. right? So the, the actual right. uh, betting against the unidirectional bet. So I'm going to throw in there, you know what? You probably should own some good old-fashioned treasuries, treasuries as well for the what-if scenario. That's right. Um, a, a lot of institutional people like to call us the crisis portfolio. Um, I, you know, it's, it's always strange to hear that phrase, but it's exactly what treasuries are. They're the flight to quality trade, as Mr. Mayberry said. So, uh, again, don't put all the eggs in the basket. Um, you know, again, be cognizant of what you're doing. 
uh, stick with the strategy. Make sure you stay invested. Um, make sure you're really monitoring the portfolio. Make sure you're hiring good managers that are actively uh, looking at these markets and studying your portfolios as well. So and really just acknowledging those risks, not that's hiding. It. That's exactly it. The, the, the informed investor is the best investor. And we know that not all environments you can just make money hand over fist, but it's important to to stay invested and look at your um, objectives. So I think uh, this is your favorite time of the show. No, it's my favorite time of the day. <laughs> We're going to play some Sherman Says here, Mr. Mabry, and you're new to this game, so I'm going to explain it for you. It's uh, a game of word association. I'm going to give you a word. It's going to be fairly random, and I want you to give me back uh, an, an answer that just hits the top of your head. A one-word answer? One-word answer. You could take two, right. maybe three, but I'm going to ding you at okay. the end. Yeah. So we'll start oh, off. So we're keeping score. We're, yeah. I'm keeping mental okay. tally right here. It's just... Yeah, right here. And so, even Sherman says it's really, it's really Mr. Lau says. Mr. Lau says. Yeah. All right, we're going to start with you, Jeff Sherman. All Duration. Right. Uh, interest rates. Productivity. Mayberry. Oh. I, we're going to alternate. I, 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 forgot, I forgot to say that. We're going to alternate. You do know that. He changes the rules yeah, every time. Right. You do know this that's audio. Right. They can't see you pointing. That's at right. Well, my, I figured you could see my finger pointing at you. So, <laughs> Productivity. Uh, high. Populism. On the ri- rising. Carne asada. Oh, so delicious. <laughs> Exercise. So painful. <laughs> Spread. Ooh, I wanted to say duration right away on that. <laughs> Yelling. Janet. <laughs> yeah. Tariffs. Ooh, they're going to be increasing, that's for sure. Yeah. Taco Bell. Not as good as the carne asada. Mm. They need to add that. In. Well, they probably do. They it's called meat. steak, though. It's yeah. called <laughs> steak. Right? Hawaii. Ooh, pineapples. And that's it for the Sherman Show as well as uh, Sherman Says. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, tune in for the next one as we'll continue to talk about prescient ideas in the marketplace today. presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. 
Copyright 2017, Double N Capital.